0: Well, thanks, Jono. Good evening, and I want to add my welcome to Ben's. Uh, w- welcome to Uni Church. My name is Rowan. One of the pastors here. And as we get into this last section, we'll be looking at in this section we've been working through in the Book of Genesis. Why don't we pray and ask God to help us to hear His Word as it really is? Let's pray together. Lord God, as we come to hear Your Word tonight, we're very aware that Your Word is living and active. But it is sharper than a two-edged sword. And so tonight we ask that you would cut through all of the junk in our lives, the excuses we make and the barriers that we put up so that we might hear your word as it really is, the word of the true and living God. And that we might walk away having seen you more clearly and ourselves more clearly and respond by loving you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Have you ever had one of those moments in life where you think possibly you've gone too far? You've done something or you've said something and you've hurt those around you and you're like, I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to get back this relationship again. It was late 1996 for me. I was in about year 11 at high school. Uh, I dated this girl for a while, but I liked this other girl. Her name was Sarah. A great name. But... I dated this other girl, and I was at a party that, that the girl that I liked, Sarah, wasn't at. And I was at this party with friends. Everything was going fine, and it was a sleepover. And uh, we decided, I decided that, look, it had gotten a bit late. It was kind of getting towards the 1, the 2 o'clock, and nothing good happens after 12. So I was like, right, I'm actually going to go to bed. And so there, there were a number of people that were gonna, going to bed early. Um, that was early at that point. Um, going to bed early. And so I just went, found this room, and I'm like, great. Uh, There there was bunks, there was people sleeping on the bunks, and so then I came and put a mattress on the floor, and then lights were out, I I laid down on the floor to go to sleep. I thought, great, this is good, everything's great, until my ex-girlfriend came in, and she decided she wanted to go to sleep, and so she put her mattress next to mine, the room was pretty small, we were pretty close. And I'm like, okay, this is a bit awkward, but I'll just lie here still. Anyway, she then goes to me, how close are you? And I'm like, I'm here. You know, this is like year 11 kind of stupidity. She then goes to me, hey, my heart's beating really hard. Can you feel it? Grabs my hand and puts a hand, my hand on her chest. And I'm like, ah, what is going on? Then she kisses me. And I'm like, ah, what is going on again? And then I'm like, hang on a minute. I like this girl called Sarah. This other girl is here. What is going on at this moment? I left the room, went to somewhere else, chatted with a friend who was a Christian. We prayed together and said, this is not a good thing to be in. Then I had the next day, which was school. And the reality of talking to Sarah, who was a good friend, and I was thinking possibly about dating, and I'm like, ah, how do I explain what's gone on? Only to find out that another girl had already told Sarah what went on. Because she was in the bed, apparently asleep but not, and said that I'd kissed my ex-girlfriend, and I'm like, ah! (laughs) There are moments in life where you think possibly you've done something that you might not recover from. I don't know if you've been in those situations. Throughout the book of Genesis, we've been hearing story after story after story of God's love for creation, making the world, making us in relationship with God, and it was so good. But then us turning our backs on God, humanity saying, no, I want to be the center of my life. I want to rule my life my way. And we've seen the reality of what works. We get booted out of the garden because of that. Relationship with God is broken. Relationship with creation is broken. Then we see story after story of mankind starting again. A new start, a new beginning, which, by the way, is why Genesis is called Genesis. It's the book of beginnings. And, and we see then God show love to his people again. And we, we see with, um, with, with Seth, there's a new family line from the Cain and Abel killing that kind of goes on. And then it starts again. And then there's a restart. Creation turns their back on God again. And we get the flood and God wipes it out. But he, he brings through Noah. And it's this great hope that God says, it's okay, I'm going to provide a way for humanity. And, and they come out of the ark and it's a restart again. But then it continues and we get to the Tower of Babel where mankind is trying to build their own tower of reputation, their own tower of goodness to say, look how good we are, we don't need you, God. And God scatters them. And, and last week as we looked at Genesis 11 and we saw the Tower of Babel, there was all the signs that had been there previously except one, God's grace. Nowhere in Genesis 11 does God give a way out. And there's a question for us as Bible readers as we come along. Have we gone too far? Has humanity pushed it to the point where God says enough is enough? There is no more relationship anymore. I do not want to deal with you anymore. For you've turned your back on me far too many times. And it might be what you're feeling tonight. I might have come along to church and thinking about, I don't know where I'm at with God, but I know the things that I've done and the things that I've said, and I'm actually not sure what the way back to God is. I'm not sure what I can actually do or if it's possible for God to have me back. Or perhaps you've just gone stale. You're just tired and you've kind of been coming along and going through the motions and you're thinking, ah, I'm not good enough for God. How can he want me? How can I move forward in this life? Well, friends, that's where we're at in this book of Genesis. And what we're going to see tonight is that while God is just and does give His punishment, He's also incredibly merciful. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, not getting the punishment that we deserve. And we see in Genesis 12 the answer to the, the, the kind of missing reality of God's grace and forgiveness in Genesis 11. Here we see God's love is so big, so radical that he steps into the world and he makes a promise that is for you. In fact, you and I highlight in this passage tonight. We actually see ourselves in it. It speaks directly about us. When I was a kid, much, much younger, my parents gave me this book that was kind of written with, your, with my name in it. I don't know if you ever had one of those books where you write off to the, the printers and they, they've kind of got a form of how the story goes and you give them three friends' names and the name of your street and then they, they kind of print it and it comes back and you've got this book and it talks about, you know, me, uh, Rowan, had his friend and his friend's name was Alex. And I was like, oh, that's my friend. It's like this moment of, wow, it's about me. And that they lived on this road and explained the road that I lived on. And I'm like, man, this book is amazing. And it suddenly feels so much more relevant because it's talking about me and I honestly used to hate books. Books are just so boring. I'm like, oh, who'd want to read a book when there's a movie? Get through so much faster, right? And, and, but this book, I, was, I would read it. I'd be like, oh, this is about me. Um, maybe that's saying more about me than it is <laughs> about books in general. But when it references us, it shows us the relevance of it for us. And as we get to this part of the Bible, as we get to God's grace and forgiveness for humanity, as we see the answer to the question of, has humanity gone too far? We see our role in this part of the Bible. Genesis 12 verse 3 says this, All the people on earth will be blessed through you. He's talking about a man named Abram. And he's saying that through Abram, all peoples on earth will be blessed through him. All peoples of earth. those words there, God had you and me in mind. Here we are. All peoples of the earth will be blessed through him. He's sitting here thinking, who's Abraham and how am I blessed through him? What, how, what does this mean for us? Well, come with me and have a look. Because no matter what you think about God or Christianity or Jesus, you need to recognize that because this book that's written 3,000 years ago is talking about us, It's got incredible relevance for the way that we live. So come with me. And before we understand our part in this book, let's understand the story of Abram. The story of Abram. That's the first point in your outline if you want to write something down there. Abram's story. So who is Abram? Well, he's the second most important person in all of human history. Second most important person. You see, the Jews, Muslims, and the Christians all say that he is the foundation of their faith. He's the beginning place of where their faith started. Abram was the one who saw the Jews come into being. He's the one who Muslims come from as well, and, and Christians see as core. His name is mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. That's a lot of mentions. Like, if he's reading the book, he's like, man, this thing's about me. No, he's actually saying it's about someone else we're going to see in a moment. But of the 27 books in the New Testament, 11 of them talk about Abram by name. And when you get to... Hebrews, which is kind of the, the book that summarizes all the Old Testament books and what they mean and where they are pointing forward to. Hebrews is an awesome read, by the way. And if you're not coming along to Sharpen Up, uh, sign up for that because Sharpen Up will help you to get real sharp in the book of Hebrews. But in Hebrews 11, it goes through, in catalogs, all the great ones of faith. All the great ones who trusted God, who took Him at His word. and All these characters we hear about and read about, it summarizes them. Most of the characters get one sentence, You get to the really big ones like Moses, who wrote um, the first five books of the Bible, who wrote Genesis. He gets six sentences. But Abraham, or Abram, gets 12. 12 sentences of this guy. It's huge. He becomes the ultimate prototype of the man of faith. Next to Jesus, he's the most important person in human history. So as you think about the prototype of the man of faith, as you think about the, the second most important person in all of human history, what kind of picture do you have of what he'd be like? Well, I think, if I'm honest, I think he's going to be one of those kind of good guys. If he's in the Bible and he's one of faith, he's going to be one of these people that always does what's right, that puts his first foot forward all the time, that comes from a good family lineage, probably went to a private school somewhere, you know, probably was in the top class and did Cambridge or something. I don't know what it was, but he probably had all those things going on for him. But when we recognize who he is, we see that's not what he's like at all. Firstly, Abram is from the most uncreatively named place in the world. Do you know where he's from? Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, I imagine as they're coming up with, what are we going to call this place, guys? I don't know. Uh, it's a great name. Let's call it Ur of the Chaldeans. Where are you from? Ur oh, awesome. Like, it's just stupid name. Like, it's crazy. Ur of the Chaldeans. We actually know a fair bit about Ur of the Chaldeans because of the work of an archaeologist called Sir Charles Woolley. Uh, you, you can go to Ur today. Do you know where it is? Iraq. Iraq. In the middle of Iraq, they found an ancient kind of brick dated around 2000 BC, which would have been the time of Abram. It's in the middle of a desert. It's, it's not a very nice place at all. It's probably where the Tower of Babel was being built with this unfinished monument to humanity and how great we are just sitting there broken apart. It's not a beautiful city. It's the middle of Babylon. And these people of the Babylonians, they they didn't worship the God who made them. they ran away from God. They had their own language and their own desire. They wanted to put themselves at the center. So they made up other gods. They, They were worshiping the moon and the sun and the stars. They wanted nothing to do with the true God who made them. This was Abram's family. This was Abram's culture. The next thing we hear about is his kind of lineage. Abram's place that he lived in was called Ur, pretty uncreatively named. But what's worse was his dad's name. Do you know what his dad's name was? Terror. How about that for calling your kid? I'm going to call this kid Terror. How do you reckon they're going to turn out, right? Not good. If you call your kid Terror, they're probably going to be a Terror. There's something like that. Now, it didn't really mean Terror in Hebrew. I'm aware, Rowan, this is written in Hebrew. Don't think it really means Terror today. No. Do you know what it does mean? Mountain goat. My dad is a mountain goat. That's what my dad is called, mountain goat. How do you think he's going to be? Like His dad's not a highfalutin person in society. He's the mountain goat guy. He's the billy goat gruff. He's this person who's no good at all. If you call your kid mountain goat, and you're from Ur of the Chaldeans, and you're around a bunch of people who do not worship God, you're not really in the lineage of someone who'd be the bright shining star of God's people, are you? Listen to what Joshua says about Abram's father. It's in Joshua 24, verse 2. This is what the Lord God, the God of Israel, says, Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. His family were worshipping other gods. They had nothing to do with the true and living God that made the world, that, 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 that had kind of spoken and showed His grace and love to this family line. Nothing to do with them at all. Abraham's dad was a man who knew nothing of the God of the Bible, who worshipped false gods, who was committed to worshipping Satan. Because you know that to worship anyone but the true and living God is to side with his adversary, the devil. So as you come along and you think, man, my family's not that great. I didn't go to the best school. I didn't have the best upbringing. I didn't get introduced to Christianity until much, much later, or Jesus. And my dad, well, he's a bit of a terror or a mountain goat or some sort of crazy thing, and I don't know how I'm going to turn out because my dad is like that and I think that my future is going to look bad and maybe there's no way I can be good enough for God. Well, don't be discouraged because the second most important person in the Bible came from a family just like that. People think Abram was a Jew, but he wasn't a Jew. He was a Babylonian and then God pulled him from being a nothing and nobody worshipping other gods and made him to be the very beginning of God's people, the Jews. There's nothing intrinsically good about this man, his parents, or his people. Nothing. But here's the thing. God chose Abram. God, after the background of what happened in Babel, after the questions of, have we gone too far? Has humanity rejected God too much? God steps into his world again and chooses an Iraqi sheep farmer. He says, all right, shepherd boy, you're with me. Not because of anything Abram had done, but completely and wholly to do with what God was going to do in him and through him. Despite his history, despite his family, through no work of his own, God chose Abram. So often people think Christianity is about being a good person. Doing the right things, hanging out with the right people, saying the right things. It's not If it was, Abram would be a nobody. What makes Abram a somebody in world history is the fact that God chose him and Abram trusted God. Come with me, Genesis 12, verse 1. Look at what God does. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. What a promise. Can you imagine God saying that to you? Imagine him saying just to to, to leave and make you into a great nation. That he would bless you and make your name great and that you would be a blessing. You're kind of like, what? The The Iraqi shepherd boy? The crazy guy whose dad was a terrorist mountain goat and came from the most unimaginatively named place in the world can, can have this? How does that happen? What did he do? Nothing. God's first word to Abram was what he was doing for him. God chose him. And his first word was for Abram to leave. Did you see that? Go, he says. Go from your land. Go from your relatives. Go from your father's house. It's to leave the reality that he knew. Leave that totally. Trust in God's word, in God's promise, and follow him. Can you imagine what that would be like? To totally be told to leave the current country that you live in, the city, and and to move somewhere else where you've got no idea what the people are like, what language they speak? that you don't have any of their customs or cultures, none of their kind of shared common knowledge, your, your livelihood, your, your workplace. It wasn't portable schools. You couldn't really just transfer to Deloitte in that other country because you knew Deloitte would be there as well as an accountant or some other big engineering firm or whatever it is. You're kind of like, How do I, what do I do when I go there? This is loss of income, upheaval of relationships, all your friends or your family, all your people you've been hanging out with, throwing rocks at the moon gods or whatever you were doing, right? And this is in an age where there's no Zoom, there's no FaceTime. You can't be like, oh, hey dad, what's going on? You know, what are you doing up the mountain today? You know, none of that. You, you're actually being told to leave it all behind. God's call to Abraham is a total cutoff from his past, from who he is, from who he is serving, and a complete reorientation to the, the God who is incredibly generous and loving. Turn your back on this world that's in ruins. Turn your back on the murderous ways of Cain, the arrogance of Lamech, the evil that flows from your heart. Leave the the rat race that's trying to build a towering reputation for yourself. Put that behind. Leave the comfort of your people, the security of your family, and the world as you know it, and put your security in me, in the God who made the universe, in the God who is in control of all things, The call of the God of the Bible is trust me. It's trust me. Put him in the center of our lives. Trust his word to be right and good. Trust his promises above our our own view of ourselves and the world, above our own desires, our own hopes. Trust that God knows what's best for he made the world. And that's what Abram does. When he's confronted with the word of God, he listens. Not knowing where he was going, he trusted the word of this God. And you notice there's no arm twisting in the passage. It's kind of not kind of like, oh, you know, all right, God, look, if you give me more sheep than I would have had in, here in Iraq or Ur, then, then I'll go. Or if you just give me a child, or a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, or if you give me better grades, or a good job, or a better life, you know, if I'll do this bargaining. Do you, do you ever find yourself doing that with God? Okay, God, if you just let me pass this exam, then I'll pray every night. I promise, and I'll read my Bible. Right? Or has it just been me that's kind of thought that in the past? Awkward moment. Maybe it has. <laughs> None of that happens with Him. He takes God at His word. And that's what makes him so great. See, throughout the Bible, greatness is depicted not as being perfect or being great in and of yourself. Greatness throughout God's word is depicted in trusting the perfect and great one. Greatness is trusting the perfect and great one. Trusting his promises. So often where we come unstuck is we we want to shape God and his promises into being what we want them to be. And we say, God, we want you to bless us the way we want you to bless us. And we want life to be the way that that I want life to be. And we we try and kind of manipulate God into getting what we want. But no, here, Abram listens to God. Go, leave, turn it all aside, turn your back on the way of living and put me at the center and follow me. Here at Church. That's exactly what we want to be like. We want to be like people who listen to the Word of God, who let God's Word shape us, keep putting aside our twisted views and actually let God's view of the world shape the way that we live. Here at UniChurch, you'll find that the Bible is the absolute authority in everything because it is the Word of God. You don't want to hear what's going on in some dodgy pastor's head out the front. You don't want to hear the ideas he's got to say to the world around us. We want to hear what God has to say. We want to open up his scriptures and be like, man, we want to listen to you. Abram trusted the bare Word of God. He was confronted by it and he listened. How are you going at trusting the Word of God? How do you find the Word of God and its role in your life? Where, where are you going, ah, oh, it's good, but maybe it's just a bit too much noise. I've got all this other stuff going on and all these other competing voices. Abram took God at his Word and he trusted him. You know what's even more incredible about him? He didn't have history of what this God was like. So you and I today, we've got nearly 4,000 years of God's history and action in humanity, of the way that God has worked. We've got the stories recorded for us in the Bible. We've got 4,000 years of God keeping His promises and fulfilling His promises. And we've got no excuse, really. Abram's just confronted with the Word of God, but us, we can see that God had promised so many things. And we see their fulfillment throughout history, throughout Scripture. Abraham hears and Abraham goes to a land he doesn't know anything about because he trusts the Word of God. All he has to cling to is the promise of God. But what a promise it is. Did you see it? I will make you into a great nation. Genesis 12 verse 2. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Do you see how this is the reversal of Babel? Babel was mankind trying to make a name for themselves. They were gathering together, speaking one common language, so that the world around everyone would see how great united humanity is, that we don't need God So God scatters them with different languages and you're like, what will happen? Has it been too far? Is this the end? And then God says, no, I will make you great. You won't make yourself great because you can't make yourself great. I will make you great. And I'll take the the worst of the worst, the person who's a nobody in the world, an Iraqi sheep farmer, and I will make him into the most important or second most important person in human history. Genesis 12 Verses 1 to 3 is the controlling trajectory from this point on for the whole lot of the rest of the Bible. From this point on, the rest of the Bible is talking about these promises how God will bring about His people, the ones that He chose, how we bring them back into relationship with Him and make them great and fill the earth through this nation and bring them into a land that will be theirs and then bring them blessing and life that will last forever and through this nation be a blessing to the whole world. This is what the rest of the Bible is about. Friends, highlight this part of your Bible. Keep looking for its its bells that keep ringing, the thread that runs through the whole of Scriptures because this kind of controls what God is doing. This is his plan and purpose. The Bible's about God expanding and fulfilling this promise to Abram, to Abram's family and to the whole world. This is the beginning of God's mission to restore humanity to himself. The answer to the question, have we gone too far in this promise, is a resounding no. There is possibility of relationship with God. You know, in the story of Sarah and I, we ended up getting married. I explained what happened to her, what happened to me. I explained it to her. She forgave me. Uh, it was kind of very, very generous of her. And then we had this great relationship. Yes, it has its ups and downs, but there was hope beyond. And here, we have an even clearer picture of the hope that is beyond. And the reason why is because it has nothing to do with Abram. It's God who does it. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bring blessing to the rest of the world through you. What a contrast that is to Abram's parents at Babel. If Genesis 11 was the city of man, Genesis 12 is the beginning of the city of God. It's the city God builds, it's the people God builds, and it's a city of blessing. Abraham would get. What he and we could never achieve ourselves. Blessing, nation, and name. Through Abram, kings would come, other nations would call him princes, a prince in Genesis 23 verse 6. Um, A thousand years later, King David would be his great, 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 great grandson and be the greatest king in the Old Testament. His son, King David's son, Solomon, would be the wisest person to walk the face of the planet. Other nations would flock to him. You you read through the biblical story and you're like, wow, God is keeping his promise. He's seeing this nation come and and, and take over a land and be great and other nations be blessed as the Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon and asks for wisdom and he, he gives her that and you see the world being blessed and you're like, wow, God does keep His promises. But one of the problems is, it seems not all of His promises have been kept. So I hope you're sitting there and saying, but, but Rowan, um, Israel now is one of the most hotly contested pieces of land on the planet. The Jews kind of were reborn, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago as a nation. And And they're not really kind of the center of the universe. They're not the ones through whom the rest of the world is being blessed. Maybe God hasn't been able to do what he said he would do. Maybe his promises aren't actually secure. Well, in order to understand what God's promises actually meant, we come to the part of the New Testament where Paul in Galatians helps us to understand what God was doing when he made these promises. You ready for it? Galatians 3:16 it's on the screen Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed singular He does not say and to seeds as they're referring to many but referring to one and to your seed who is Christ Let me read it again because what he's saying is the promises that God gave to Abraham were actually promises about Jesus Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, singular, his child, his descendant. Who is that? He doesn't say, and to seeds, as into all of those that had come. But referring to one and to your seed, who is Christ. The only way to understand Abraham's story and how blessing comes to you and me and to all humanity is to recognize Abraham's offspring, Jesus. Is to come to Jesus' story. This is the next point in your outline, Jesus' story. The blessings of the world that were promised to Abram would come through Jesus. The greatest name on earth would be Jesus. Philippians 2 tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. About six or seven years ago, some professors from Cambridge University did a study on who has been the most influential person in all of human history. They used a number of mathematical equations and Wikipedia and a few other things to kind of work out who's been the most influential, particularly in Western culture. And the answer has has been Jesus of Nazareth. Another nobody from a hick town, kind of called Nazareth, becomes the most influential person in human history. Why? Because God keeps his promises. Because God said he would bring about his plans and purposes through Abram's seed. And as we come to Jesus, we see the one who always put God at the center of his life. As you see the life of Jesus, he always treated his father rightly. He always took God at his word. He lived the perfect life and then Jesus came and died in our place. Next weekend, we'll be celebrating Easter together. We'll be celebrating the reality of what Jesus' death meant. That as he died, he took the penalty for us, turning our backs on God. But not just us. Romans 3 tells us that God had passed over the sins that had been committed beforehand because he was waiting for the time that he would pour out his wrath for those who trusted in Jesus. He would pour it out on Jesus. That as Jesus died, he died as our substitute in our place. He took the punishment for all the wrongs that have happened so that we could stand forgiven if we trust him who is the Word, the Word of God. Friends, Jesus stepped into our world. He died in our place and He rose again, showing that death has been defeated. What greater blessing is there that life in, than life that does not end, life that goes on forever? We spend so much time and energy and money trying to make ourselves look young and refreshed and energized and we we want to stay away from death and sickness because those things suck. We don't want to go there. We want to live life to the full. Jesus steps into the world and says, I've conquered death. Paul can say, where, O death is your victory? Where, O death is your sting? For those who trust in Jesus, life after death is a certain reality, as certain as God's promise to Abraham that through his seed, He would make the nation great. He would bring blessing to the whole earth. The land that they were possessing now becomes a greater and expanded land. It's the whole earth. It's a new creation as Jesus comes back. Oh, it includes this little West Bank area in Israel that they were given when they came in, but it's the whole earth. And now it's like this family of the Jews comes down to one Jew and then everyone who trusts in Jesus is united to him. And so this nation is is all those who call Jesus their King and Lord. It's Christians. The whole Bible, friends, is about Jesus. Jesus. He's the answer to all our questions. He's the hope for all our fears. He's the fulfillment of all our dreams. Everything we need is found in Him, life that does not end. He is our blessing, relationship with God the Son and God the Father through God the Son. God the Spirit living in us, the reality of life with Him in the new creation. He's our joy and our treasure. It's all about Him. When you compare all the things that we live for, Our reputation, our career, things, comforts, pleasures. Oh, they're nice for a while, but they're like candy floss, aren't they? You get them for a bit, they taste good, but then they just go to nothingness. What Jesus offers is life forever. As we come to Abram, what we see is what made him great was that he took God at his word. He trusted the promises of God. And you might be sitting here tonight thinking, yeah, but I haven't trusted them perfectly. I've not lived them perfectly. I want to say, neither did Abram. Did you see the second half of our reading tonight? Did you see what he did? Come with me. Um, From Genesis 12, verse 11, it says this. When Abram was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, Look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Now, tip for guys. It's really great to explain the realities of the beauty of the person that you love. I actually need to hear that. It's important. So it's a great example at this point. He's doing well. Look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And you can see him. Like his eyes, He's like, oh, I just love you so much. He's besotted with her, right? When the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife. They'll kill me but let you live. Please say you're my sister so it will go well for me because of you and my life will be spared on your account. Now, remember, this is the great one of faith, of trust. The one who took God at his word and believed him. Now he gets to Egypt and he's like, oh actually, but the wife God gave me, this, this woman who's with me, she's a bit too good looking. And they're going to kill me. So I'm going to lie to them and, and bring about my own kind of salvation, my own way of moving forward here and say, Sarah, can, can you please just lie? Say you're my sister. They'll just sleep with you. It'll be fine. You sleep with them for a bit, and then they won't kill us, and then we'll move on, and like, everything's happy. Is, is that okay? <laughs> We're sitting here going, no, that's not okay. Be a man. Stand up. Say, no, she's my wife. Trust in the Word of God. He promised to bring you blessing. They haven't had kids yet. He promised that through his seed, his descendants, that, that they would have many, many children. There is numbers in the stars. As we, The number of descendants would be as many as the number of stars we read in, in Genesis 15 and 17. He didn't trust God fully in this. He kind of trusted, he kind of went, but but not fully. Look what happens. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Tick. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. So the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. We're like, no, don't let this happen. He treated Abraham well because of her. So Abraham's going, oh, now I'm experiencing the blessings of God because I've lied. Because I've brought about it myself. And you're like, ah, oh, idiot. <laughs> he treated Abram well because of her. And Abram acquired flocks and herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves and camels. And you're like, wow, is this, is this it? Bringing about God's blessing on your own terms? But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because of Abram's wife, Sarah. In other words, God was like, this is not good. This is not cool. She is not good yours, Pharaoh. So Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, what have you done to me? You can imagine him at this point. <laughs> I thought she was your sister. Like We've given you all these blessings. Dude, you could have told me earlier. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her as my wife? Now I'm getting plagues, all this stuff's going on. He says, here's your wife, take her and go. You know what's amazing? God always brings about His plans and purposes, even in our own stupidity. Even in our failing trust in God, what matters is who we trust in, not how much trust we have. He did trust God. He trusted God to bring about His plans and purposes, but it was a failing trust, a fledgling trust. It wasn't like, whoa, you are amazing, look at how much faith you have, you have trust like Arnold Schwarzenegger has muscle, right? That's the kind of picture that you kind of think would be right, but no. And as we come to this part of the Bible and we think through what we're like, and we ask the question, have I gone too far? Is my trust not enough? The answer to that question is, it depends on who you trust in. If your faith is in the Word of God, in His promises, if you've seen who Jesus is and you've given your life to Him and said, I want to serve you with my whole life, with my all. And as you stumble through that, and as you fall down and fall back, you keep coming back to the God who keeps His promises then your future is secure because God will not lie. Because God is the one who holds us in. Because God is the one that brings us to the end. How great it is to trust in the God who keeps his promises. Well, here's where it affects our story. It's the last point I want us to look at tonight, our story. See, it seems to me when you understand what God has offered us, like Abraham did, when you get a grip on who God really is and His power and strength and, and faithfulness, when you see all the fulfillment of God's promises and how, how, how to what extent He has gone to God the Son Himself dying in our place, then you see that all of life is about taking God at His word. When you recognize those things, then it changes you to be a person on mission. It changes you To be a person on mission, it it sends you out. The word mission just comes from the Latin word to send. Uh, It destroys our consumer mentality. We stop going, oh, it's about me and my comfort and what blessings I can get. And suddenly you become captured by the God who's made these promises and treated us not as we deserve. And you say, okay, I'm, I'm in. I want to follow you. Look at who you are. Look at what you've done. When you've been confronted by the word of God and you put your trust in him, it changes the way you think. It makes people willing to leave their nation, their home, their family, their security for the purpose of partnering with the true and living God and joining him in his mission of reconciling the world to himself. Abraham is confronted with God and he goes. He recognizes the blessing of God. He recognizes that he is blessed so he can bless others. Friends, we've been blessed in so many ways, haven't we? We've seen God the Son, his death in our place, the forgiveness that we've seen so much surer and so much more securely than Abram ever did. And we have so much at our disposal, time, resource, money, relationships, friends, houses, cars, clothes, knowledge. And the temptation for us is to hold on to them and hoard them to be people that hold on to all these things for, for our security. You, you know, there's people that they jump on the free Facebook page, you know, the Auckland Free Cycle page, and people post, oh, there's a couch. Like, yeah, I'll take it. And everything that comes up in life, like, yeah, I'll have it. And they just kind of become hoarders of everything because they want to get cool stuff. Like, do you find yourself doing that? Okay, I sometimes do. So, But what I'm not trusting in is that in God's word, I have enough, more than enough. Called a child of God. Relationship with him that lasts forever. The promises and security of the true and living God. When you recognize who is addressing us when we read the Bible, and you see what he offers, relationship with him, forgiveness of our sins. When you've been captured, captivated by the cross of Christ, where Jesus paid the penalty for us, that the innocent one was was killed and died so that you and I could be in right relationship with God. Then, what cost compares to the riches we've been given in Jesus? What sacrifices is too excessive to serve Him compared to the future that we have in store? What security could we possibly desire than the word of the one who spoke and made the universe? What could be greater than that? As you think about the story of your life and your position with the true and living God, and the question of, have I gone too far? Have I gone too much? Where is God's grace? It's my hope that tonight, you see in the word of God, that there is nothing more richer, nothing more powerful, nothing more defining than seeing our place in the plans and promises of the mercy of God. That he doesn't give us the death we deserve, but offers us life that lasts forever if we come and trust Jesus. question for us all tonight is have you taken God at his word? Have you trusted that God is the creator of all and that Jesus stepped onto the face of the planet as the word of God and that our life is defined by trusting in him? If you haven't, I want to encourage you tonight check out the evidence for Jesus see who he is and what he's done don't just sit back and go "Nah, it's not for me your life literally depends on it and if you have then I want to encourage you, trust him. Don't look for security in other places. Trust him to be sent out to the world around us and proclaim the news of Jesus to all those who will hear. Don't seek after our own security and reputation and comfort, but use the privilege of knowing that you have the greatest security, the greatest reputation, and the greatest comfort promised that anyone could ever have in the person of Jesus. Security in that our sins have been paid for. Security in that it's God's work bringing us to himself. That it's got nothing to do with how good we are, but how amazing he is. And comfort of life that will not end. Life beyond death. In right relationship with God and his people. In a new creation, just like God promised Abram. Can I encourage you tonight, as you are confronted with the word of God, to trust him and to go. Let's pray. Father God, tonight we are so thankful that through your word, you speak to us. You confront us with the reality of what we're like. You show us how shonky our own dependence and security is on so many things other than you. And that you fill that then with a better picture of your son. We are so thankful that your promises have been made so clearly and fulfilled in Jesus. And we ask that you'd you'd capture us, you'd captivate us by him that we might live our lives sent out to the world around, proclaiming who you are, reminding one another of how amazing it is to be called your children and, and the future that you offer. Would you help us to be people who trust you, even in our failing and fledgling faith, help us to be people that put our dependence and our trust and our reliance, not in ourselves, but in the God who keeps his promises. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen.